Hello, and welcome to Shared Space, a podcast about the power of architecture and design to make us healthier, happier, and more connected. I'm your host, Erin Peavy, and I'm so glad that you're here with us. We all understand that loneliness and social isolation is a major problem, impacting short and long-term health outcomes like heart disease, dementia, and even overall mortality. And it's clear that the built environment has a role to play in shaping our health and how connected we are with one another. And a part of that is around spaces for connection. And a quick note, if you want to hear more about any of these topics specifically, please take a minute and listen to the first few episodes in this series to understand more of what we mean and why we care about loneliness, the role of the built environment, and specifically places of connection. Okay, so jumping back in, what do you picture when you think about a place of connection? Let's say you're in a new city or a new part of your city and you come across this place. What does it feel like? What about it makes it special? And why do you think it helps you to feel connected? I, I have to say for me, local coffee shops have always been that place. The way they often feel like they're uniquely of the place or of the area where they are and Seriously, I could spend hours there, both meeting people and also just sort of simply getting work done and yet feeling more connected to the world. Um, I've spent so many super early mornings and late nights at coffee shops, um, and so they're just probably one of my favorite places of connection. So studies show that there's six factors that help to create a place of connection, or what we call a a place that fosters social health. So those include accessibility, activation, choice, human scale, nature, and sense of place. We're going to be unpacking all of those over the coming episodes, but we're starting off with perhaps my favorite, although I really shouldn't play favorites, and that is accessibility. So as the daughter of a special education teacher and counselor and a father that's a physician that works for people without insurance, really this thing about accessibility and making sure that people have equal access wherever they are along that spectrum has been something that's been really important to me throughout my life. And just so happens that when you look into the literature, accessibility comes out as a factor that's really important to creating spaces of connection. And on this 30-year anniversary of the American with Disabilities Act, or what we often refer to as ADA, it's only fitting to celebrate accessibility. So accessibility is about creating places that are safe, inclusive, and walkable. And perhaps the most fundamental attribute of a good third place is that it is accessible to those that can use it, because otherwise you're just looking at it, and that's really not super helpful. So the best versions of this foster a sense of ownership, and they become regular parts of people's lives. So this requires safe, convenient, affordable, and comfortable access to the place. For children, this may mean that they can gather and play and explore with some degree of independence from their parents. You know, 
that that's developmentally appropriate. And for senior adults or people with disabilities, this means that they need easy physical access options. So that may mean curb cuts so that they can easily get to the location, Um, gradual changes in slope, benches where they can rest, and spaces to shelter from the elements. For all ages, the ideal space is within walking distance from the home. Work, school, whatever that means, wherever you're spending your time, the ideal space is close to that. So humans evolve to navigate our world on our feet. And there's been a lot of research that's shown the benefits of physical activity on the health of our minds and bodies and the role of walkable streets, neighborhoods, and cities and being able to foster well-being. Studies have demonstrated that people living in walkable mixed-use neighborhoods have more social capital. So you may remember from the prior episode, social capital is both the tangible and intangible benefits of connections with others. So that can mean something like having an easier time finding employment, which is something that increased social capital helps. But it also can mean just feeling better, feeling more connected with your neighbors, that type of thing. So tangible and intangible benefits. So mixed-use neighborhoods have more social capital compared to residents of car-oriented suburbs, and people in walkable neighborhoods report being more likely to trust others, participate politically, know their neighbors, and be socially engaged. So all of this indicates that car dependence is part of this limiting factor in reducing opportunities for in-person interaction. And one of the examples I love of this is from one of my colleagues, Lamont Thomas from Cigna. So he used to talk about how, you know, he would pull into his driveway and, you know, go straight inside and never even see his neighbors. And he was like, that's the built environment and how we're engaging with it, impacting how connected we are to our neighbors. So I've always loved that example. It's really stuck with me. Um, And it's best to start to shift away from auto travel whenever we're able to and to think about how people can access a third place differently. When I think of examples of accessible spaces, a lot comes to mind. Everything from the availability and the paving of sidewalks to the use of curb cuts that allow all people in wheelchairs, strollers, walkers, or just limited mobility to allow them to navigate a neighborhood or place safely and easily, or just to allow kids to safely walk to school or to the park down the street. I also think of how access to green third places and parks is often limited in neighborhoods that have been historically marginalized, in part due to the historic practice of redlining, which manifested in banks avoiding investing in communities with a higher portion of minority residents. And honestly, there's too many examples of the importance of accessibility and inclusivity to mention them all here. But I wanted to share with you all one story of working with Parkland Hospital on a new patient clinic. So for anyone that doesn't know Parkland, they're a very large, well-regarded safety net hospital and health system here in Dallas, Texas. And caring for all individuals, regardless of their insurance status or ability to pay, is a major part of their mission. And they have this inspiring vision to care for 
the neighborhoods that need it the most, caring for the well-being of the entire community. So when we started working with them in the visioning process for their new clinic, one of the things that the staff and the leadership repeatedly mentioned was accessibility, accessibility. And it seemed like they meant a lot of different things. And so as we dug into this and we unpacked it, it meant everything from how patients get to the facility at all, um, like how can we make it most convenient for all modes of transit from train to bus, shuttle, car, bike, you know, how can people walk there? All of that. And that's sort of one area of accessibility to like, how does it feel like it welcomes people that maybe aren't welcome in a lot of other places? How does it show them that this is a place for you and you're welcome here? And so some of the things that we did um, was we located the site. Um, they thoughtfully decided to use this, this part of land that they had um, that was right next to the metro station. And um, they put the clinic there so that everybody could use the dart rail, which is, which is our major sort of um, train. And um, it's also along paths for buses and adjacent to um, parking structures and all of that. So thinking about all of these different modes of transit and shuttle. Um, and so one of the things that we did is we wanted to make sure that the path for patients was easy to navigate to the front door and, and that it felt equitable regardless of what mode of transit you used there. So there's this beautiful path that's coming from the, the dart rail or the train line um, that's really easy to navigate. Where's the front door, um, regardless of their physical abilities? And what that means is it's this welcoming, beautifully paved, well-lit, tree-lined entry path. And it has this expansive awning that reaches out over the entry to protect people while they're, you know, getting into the facility or waiting to be picked up. And one of the small details that I find can often hurt accessibility is the levelness of the floor or prevalence of stairs, which can be beautiful, yes, but can oftentimes leave the ramp as this sort of ugly, inconvenient afterthought that makes people who need the ramp also feel less than welcome in this building. And at worst, it can cause people to take the stairs that aren't fully physically able, leaving opportunity for injury. And so one of the things that I love, that's, it's like one of those details that you would never notice um, unless they got it wrong, which is, which is at Parkland, the facility does a great job at providing a series of sort of seamless, easy to navigate transitions from street level to entry. Um, and that's, that's really important, really nice. And, and some of that's also done with this transition and paving that helps people to sort of slow down and cues to them different, um, different modes of being. Um, then as the person sort of enters into the facility or the space, they, the space sort of opens and feels welcoming and helps them to instantly be able to navigate their destination. So with this open, transparent atrium, it provides the ability to see the floors above and signals where to go regardless of which language you speak because they have a population that speaks a ton of different languages and you really want the space to be able to speak for itself and the signage to not require that you have English as a, as a first language or that your 
able to, to read. Really, we need to make it accessible for everyone, regardless of where they come from. So in addition to this, the human element can be really helpful. So they have this greeter that personally welcomes every patient and visitor that enters the building, often a warm smile, and also can help them to find their way. So the team had a lot of conversation around how the clinics could be designed to help diverse patient populations feel comfortable. So everything from the colors on the walls and the furniture to the artwork. And one of the clinics that's dedicated specifically to breast health has a feminine touch in different areas, like the coloring and accent walls, as well as a super graphic that was specifically chosen in collaboration with the staff and past and current patients of the facility where they're currently located. So it's really about representing the people that are going to use this in the, the process and manifestation of creating it. So I think that's a really important thing that sometimes people forget. It's not just, you know, what does the facility ultimately look like? What does the building ultimately look like? Sorry, I'm a healthcare architect. I spent a lot of time talking about facilities, but, you know, I think we're used to calling them buildings. But what does the building ultimately look like? Well, it's not just about that. It's also the process. Like, what did it look like engaging the people in the community? the people that are going to use the building Um, or, you know, maybe a park, you know, we're currently working on a park and I think it's amazing to hear from the surrounding community. What are, what are their thoughts? What are their ideas and their concerns and how do we make sure that the entire building process helps to honor that and to honor them? So that's just one example of what accessibility can look like. And full disclosure, I'm sharing that example from um, the work done at HKS, the architecture firm where I work with talented healthcare architects and interior designers um, and amazing clients. So, So I hope that example helps to bring some concrete visuals to how you think about accessibility. I'd also love to hear from others, like, what do you think about? What do you think's missing? Um, what do you wish I had mentioned? And how have you seen it done really well? Um, or or sort of a, a detail that often gets forgotten. So um, please, I'd love to hear from you. Um, and I'd love to hear your ideas. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Shared Space. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe wherever you're listening and head on over to Apple to give us a review. It really helps to spread the word and we really appreciate it. I hope that your day is filled with honest emotion, kindness, and connection. Thanks so much and take care.